Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. In 2014, a study appeared in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that got a lot of attention and stirred some controversy. It was about something seemingly innocuous, friendship and how friendship comes to be. And the authors of the study noted an odd fact about humans. We are one of the only species that has friends, not relatives, not mates, but friends, random, unrelated people who we help and we like for no clear reason. But, the study's authors suggested, maybe there is a reason, even if it's someone invisible. In their examination of nearly 2,000 people, the researchers found that we tend to choose friends who are genetically similar to us, people who are, on average, as similar as fourth cousins. One of the authors of that study was Nicholas Christakis from Yale. All kinds of phenomena, for instance, taste in clothes or music, may depend on the tastes of other people. Christakis, a physician and sociologist, studies how much other people impact us, often in ways that we don't understand. I talked to him in 2014. So, for example, we have been able to show that seemingly very personal things, like your emotional state or your body size or how kind you are or whether you vote or not, depends on whether other people around you do that and even other people you don't know. Now, new research has added another layer to understanding the bond of friendship and how making a strong connection to another person is reflected in our brains. So we took everybody in an MBA program, so everybody in the same academic program. They live together, they take classes together, they study together. Carolyn Parkinson, an assistant professor of social psychology at UCLA, is co-author of a study trying to understand how similar our brains are to those around us. We characterized all the social relationships between them, specifically friendships. So we just got everybody, about 300 people, um, in this academic program to essentially just tell us who their friends are. Um, And then using that information, we can reconstruct their social network and figure out which pairs of people are friends, which pairs of people are friends of one another's friends, which pairs of people are three degrees of separation from each other, and so on. Once Parkinson and her colleagues had mapped these degrees of separation, they had as many people as they could sit down and watch a little TV. What exactly were they supposed to watch? Well, an unorthodox assortment of things. Oh yeah, and the whole time, researchers were keeping an eye on their brains using fMRI. So we had a pretty wide variety of things because we wanted things that would be engaging so they keep people's attention focused on the study and that people wouldn't have seen before because we didn't want friends to just watch the same things together before and then look similar. And also things that different people might respond differently to because maybe... um, They have different senses of humor, so some people might Mm -hmm. think something's really funny. Other people might fail to appreciate or detect the humor in those Mm -hmm. same things. Um, Arguments that some people might resonate with, but others might respond to with, you know, skepticism or Mm -hmm. contempt. So we had different kinds of comedy, like uh, slapstick and kind of lowbrow, sophomoric humor, as well as more wry, uh, cringe-based comedy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, And also... Uh, clips from debates, things like um, debates about whether college football should be banned, also clips from CNN Crossfire, Mm. and also um, a clip from a documentary about um, a sanctuary for baby sloths. So a pretty (laughs) wide range of things. A sanctuary for baby sloths. Yeah. Right. Okay. um, Okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so when the subjects in your study were watching these things about baby sloths and, you know, crossfire from CNN and stuff, um, what were you doing? How do you track what their brain is doing uh, while they're watching these things? Sure. So the participants didn't know what the study was about. We just told them that they'd be sort of having experience akin to watching TV while somebody else channel surfs. So they just saw all these okay. videos. Got it. And we carved up their brain into anatomically defined brain regions. So we have, you know, say your amygdala and my amygdala. If we mm. both participate in the study. And then just as we both watch the same series of video clips, we look at how activity in that area rises and falls over time. Right. Okay. And then give me a sense then of what you found and how people who were friends were different or perceptively uh, closer in their uh, responses than other people. Yeah. So we found that um, friends were exceptionally similar in how they responded to the videos and the similarity decreased with social distance in the network so that um, friends were more similar than people who weren't friends with each other, but were friends with one another's friends. And those people were more similar than people who were three degrees of separation from one another in the network. So let's take a step back here and look at these results. When people watch this hodgepodge of random clips, the people who were friends had brains that responded very similarly. Why this happened, we don't yet know. What way is the causal arrow pointing here? Are we forming friendships with people who already think like us and see the world like us? Or as we are friends with people and as we spend time with them, do we align ourselves with them and become similar to them over time? And in what ways does this happen? So what kinds of similarities determine friendship formation and what kinds of things become more similar among friends over time? Understanding this sort of brain alignment opens up new frontiers and raises important questions about why groups of people, geographic, religious, political groups, for example, may seem to align so well. Past research has shown a few things clearly. Friends are good for our health, friends are influential, and we tend to become friends with people who are similar to us. What has also, up to now, been clear is that no matter how much you liked a friend, they were obviously an entirely different person. The starkness of that difference may not be quite so clear anymore. We've got links to all the studies we mentioned in this segment, from the study that shows our genetic similarity to our friends, to Carolyn Parkinson's look at the similarity of our brains. That's all at innovationhub.org. 